This message was recorded live at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. Would you appreciate our worship team? Don't they do a good, a good job? I do. They did a recent poll of about 14,000 Americans last month in July of 2020. And the question was, is the American dream still obtainable? And the American dream was defined that anyone from whatever social class that they came from, that whatever background that they had, that there were still opportunities and that they could still achieve a level of success, whatever they deemed that was, a level of success, if they were willing to work hard, if they were willing to take risk and seize the opportunities, that opportunities still existed. That's, that's kind of in a nutshell, the American dream. It's interesting what the response was because they tested people across a lot of different age groups. And the overall, the response was 52% of the Americans said, yes, it's still obtainable, 52%. Actually, if you begin to look at the different demographics, different age groups have had different feelings about that. Uh, the millennials, those who were born between 1982 and 1999, were actually the most pessimistic group. They were the ones that said, only 46% of them said it's still attainable. And when I say still attainable, there's some people who feel like it's somewhat and about 23% that felt like, yes, we can get it. So it, it really varies. Gen Z, what they're calling Gen Z. By the way, Gen Z is all, all of those born in the 2000s. Gen Z was pretty optimistic, but everyone looks at them and goes, yeah, because y'all don't know any better yet. But that's, that's uh, Gen Z was pretty optimistic. The mo you know who the most optimistic group was about the American dream? It was the blessed baby boomers. And it was, see, is, is blessed baby boomers a demographic? Yes, it is, because I made that up. It is, a <laughs> I'm in that group. That's the group that's born between 1946 and 1964. And uh, that's what they were calling the blessed baby boomers. And they were the most optimistic, 60% of them. And I know some of you are saying, yeah, well, yeah, well, you, you already had your chance to achieve the American dream. Here's the, here's the big picture. The future is not what it used to be. And this is what, as we look out there in the future, it just, people aren't having the same level of optimism, aren't having the same level of encouragement. And that becomes a challenge for us. Because what we find is, it's not just the past that influences our life, it's our vision of the future. So I, I want to start a series. I know I'm going to talk about it today, probably talk about it a little bit next week. I'm calling it Back to the Future. And I want to discuss, not the movie, but I want to discuss the idea that the future actually shapes our lives. Our view of the future shapes our lives. Now, if your view of the future is shaped purely by externals, what the government does, what the economy does, what, uh, you know, the the, the pandemic, all those things, if it's shaped only by externals, the challenge is that you set yourself up for discouragement, depression, and apathy. And I think that's one of the challenges that's facing our country today. It's not like we're all doing great. I talked to a, a law enforcement officer yesterday, and uh, he works homicide, and, and he has to attend all the suicides. I asked him, I said, are suicides up? He said, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's in our area not just in our area, it's up nationwide. And I think what's happened is that people have, if they're basing their future on what's going on, there's so much uncertainty there, 
we don't deal well with uncertainty. They did a test of, uh, a number of years ago, the, uh, the Dutch did it, and they had two groups of people, and they told one group of people, you're gonna receive 20 intense shocks. And another group, he said, you're gonna receive 17 light shocks and three intense shocks. I don't know who signs up for these things, but evidently the Dutch got them to sign up. So, and then what they were gonna do, they were gonna monitor their responses. And so they began to monitor like heart rate and, and whether or not they sweat or you know, their skin temperature. Here, here's something interesting. The group that was gonna receive 17 light shocks and three uh, intense shocks, they didn't know when the intense shocks would come. And their heart rate was higher, and their sweat, they sweat more, and they were more nervous, even though there was another group just getting 20 intense shocks. They knew it was coming. So our, our challenge is, if, you, if we base our future on externals, there's so much uncertainty out there that I really think this, is, this has played into why people are, are discouraged, they're depressed, apathetic. So we can't tread water waiting for the world to change. And especially, how do we handle that? And those of us knowing that in the last days, there's going to be some challenging times up ahead. So you say, well, is there any good news in this? Yeah, there's good news. Because with God, there's always hope, and there's always a future. Always hope. I want to show you a verse that it's a powerful verse. It's found in Hebrews, and this is talking about Jesus. It said, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. It said, for the joy set before him, Jesus knew he had a picture of the future. The picture of the future would be that by the cross, by his death, by his burial, and by his resurrection, it would open the door that billions of people could come into a relationship with God and have a relationship with him. He knew what the future would be. The joy set in front of him helped him endure the present. When you have a good picture of the future, then the present is not nearly as bad, and you're able to deal with it. For example, what if you took two ladies, same age, same background, same education, same temperament. I mean, these, are, these, these ladies are so much alike. And he gave them a job. And the job was they take, they work on an assembly line, and they take part A and they put it into slot B. Part A into slot B. Eight hours a day, 30 minutes for lunch, tedious job, a break. Breaks for 10 minutes. And you told one lady, say, hey, listen, at the end of, the, of this year, we're going to give you a bonus of $30,000. And they told the other lady, hey, at the end of this year, you're going to receive a bonus of $3 million. Now, same lady, same environment, same everything. How many of you know that after about two weeks, that first lady who's getting the $30,000 is talking to the other lady going, man, I think I'm going to quit. This is ridiculous. This, isn't, this is so tedious. This is driving me nuts. Isn't it driving you nuts? The lady who's about to receive $3 million at the end of the year goes, oh, no, 
I love this job. This is a wonderful job. I whistle why I work, why I do this job. Why? Because her view of the future has impacted her present. Listen, we've got to have a better view of the future that you believe that with God, your future can be better. Maybe all the externals are not going to be better, but your peace is better, that your joy is better, that your strength is better, that with God, your future can be brighter. And when you believe that, then it enables us to deal with the present so much better. I want to give you a great story of that. In the Bible found in the New Testament, it's a man named Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus was blind, and you talk about a guy who has no prospects of a better future. It's this guy. Let's read his story here in Mark. Now they came to Jericho. This is Jesus, and he, Jesus, went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude. Blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And then they called the blind man saying to him, be of good cheer, rise, he's calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. Now you talk about a guy with no prospects. He's sitting by the roadside. He has, he has no hope of a better future. All he's doing is every day, sitting by the roadside begging. He, he depended on other people to sustain his very life. Can you imagine that, waking up every morning, you have just your, your meager bedrobe, maybe you have your coat, and you, you get up, you brush your teeth, or you don't brush your teeth, because it really doesn't matter, and you go and you sit by the roadside, and people come by, and, and, you're, and you're saying, please, can, can you spare a dollar? Can you, can you spare five dollars? Can you spare, can you spare? And you hear people walk past you, and you know, begging, you know, I hate to see people beg. There's something in me that recoils. I don't even like to see dogs beg. Ever seen those little dogs that you know they have not been treated well? And when you call them, they crawl the last like five feet to you on their belly and then roll, and you're like, oh, somebody has treated you poorly. And you don't, I don't like to see it in dogs, how much less in people. And he's begging. But then... He believed something. He heard Jesus of Nazareth is coming. In fact, one translation said, the Jesus of Nazareth. See, there was a lot of people named Jesus, but there was one Jesus of Nazareth who did stuff. And when he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was coming, he believed that this Jesus could absolutely change his life and his future. And he began to call, he, he did the only thing he could do he began to call out, Jesus, son of David, have, have mercy on me. You see, Bartimaeus had no status. He had no friends that could ask Jesus for him. You have to understand that, that in the Jewish mindset, anyone who was blind, it was their fault. You did something, or your parents did something, or you deserve this. So it was a double stigma. And so he began to he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have, have mercy on me. That's the only thing he could do. 
is, is, is cry out. And it must have been loud because it bothered the people around him. You ever been in one of those situations where someone's doing something and it's just really awkward? And, and you're thinking, hush, just be quiet. Well, that's what they, that's what they thought about Bartimaeus. He had to be yelling really loud. That's because there's a multitude walking with Jesus, and I'm sure they weren't wearing masks, so they weren't quiet, so they were just walking with Jesus. And they're, they're making all this noise, and you got this one guy who's yelling at the top of his voice, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And they, so they told him, you need to quiet down. But I love this. Bartimaeus was unwilling to allow other people or the fear of people to stop him from getting to God. And he just kept yelling. In fact, the Bible said he yelled even more. So they said, Bartimaeus, be quiet. And he just yelled louder and louder. Now listen, he took a risk there because these were the very people that sustained him. These were the very people that would, that would offer him next week. They're going to be the ones passing by him again. But he took a risk that if he could get to Jesus, that Jesus would change his life and that Jesus would change his future. He believed that Jesus could do something for him. But then he believed something else. He believed that Jesus would. You see, as long as, as, long as he didn't know what Jesus was going to do, all he could do was yell. But as soon as he, as soon as the, as the Bible said Jesus stopped and commanded him to come. This is a man that got passed up every day. He got rejected every day. Every day he's begging for money and he hears people walk past. Every day he's begging for money and he hears people talk about him being blind. And this was a man who lived with rejection. And if anyone could have disqualified himself from ever going to Jesus, it would have been Bartimaeus. You know, I'm, I, I'm this horrible person. That's why I'm blind. I'm this person. You know, Jesus, why would you ever pay any attention to me? But Bartimaeus believed that Jesus could do something about him and that Jesus would do something about him. And as soon as Jesus stopped and Bartimaeus knew that Jesus was not going to reject him, that Jesus would not walk past him, it changed everything about his life. And they said, get up, Bartimaeus. And now the people who are telling him to shut up are now the people who are saying, hey, be encouraged, rise, he's calling for you. If I'm Bartimaeus, I'm like, I'm going to remember your voice. I'm going to find you after I can see. But he gets up and, and he did something that indicates that his future was going to be different. He threw his, his cloak away. So, well, how do you know that, that means a difference? Historians tell us this. The cloaks that the blind people would wear actually were, were cloaks that had been verified by the Pharisees and the religious people that indicated this guy was not a scam, he was for real. He was, he was wearing that cloak. That cloak gave him the license to beg. It gave him the ability to make a living. But when he heard that Jesus was calling, remember he believed Jesus could do something in his life and he believed that Jesus would do something in his life and as soon as he heard, he is calling for you. He has not rejected you. He has not passed you by. He's like, I am not wearing this thing anymore. This thing is changing in my life. I'm going straight to Jesus. I love that story. Say, well, Alan, what, what if it's not true that that cloak gave him a license to beg? I'm just going to tell you something, guys. Blind people don't throw stuff away. Because if you're blind, you've got to know where everything is. 
He wasn't planning on staying blind anymore. He believed his future was going to be better. And whether he disliked that cloak or didn't, he tossed it away and he went straight to Jesus. And I love what he said to Jesus. He calls him Rabboni. And that didn't mean anything to us. But in the margin of my Bible, there's a great little footnote that says, my great one. And what a great thing to call Jesus. My great one. He's saying, Jesus, you're, you're, you're the great one. You're the one bigger than blindness. You're the one bigger than disease. You're the one, you're the son of David. You're the great one. You've heard me talk about this for a while. It's good to go to the Lord and remind him, you are the maker of heaven and earth. You are the great one. And he looked at, he looked at Jesus. He said, I want to receive my sight. And Jesus said, go ahead and receive it. And he, and he received his sight and he followed Jesus in the way. Talk about a man whose future had changed. Bartimaeus' future had changed. What about your future? What about influencing your future? What is your future going to be? That's a good question. I can ask you that. You've got to be able to answer that for yourself. What does your future look like? Are you, are you waiting on the externals to line up? You hear people say, man, I, I'm just waiting on, on this political situation to get better. <laughs> good luck. I, uh, I, I'm, I'm waiting on the economy to change. I'm waiting till I don't have to wear a mask anymore. I'm waiting, I'm waiting for what? And if you're waiting just for all the externals to change, to determine what your future is going to be like, you might be waiting for a while. Do you feel empowered about your future or do you feel stuck? Talk to some people and say, what, what is your, what's your future look like? And they're like, oh, well. And they say something very profound, like, well, you know how it is. Okay, sirrah, sirrah. Hey, Sarah, Sarah was, a, was a song. What will be, will be. Anybody ever heard that song? Yeah. Do you know that's not a scripture? Some people hang on to that like that's, the, that's their life. It's, it's, I, you know, what will be, will be. In other words, they have no capacity to have any influence over their future at all. Aren't you glad that's not the case? What's your future going to be like? Are you depending on other people? Are you, are you, like Bartimaeus, he depended on other people. Are you, are you waiting for other people? You hear people say, man, if I can just get my family right, my future will be better. If I can, if I can just get my, if, if I can just get, that, you know, if I can just meet the right person, if I, can, if I can just have people in my life right, and you're depending on someone else, you might still be waiting. Or you can say this, I believe that with God, my future is going to be brighter. So, Alan, how in the world can you even say that? We got, our nation is probably the most crisis point we've ever been in. We've got a pandemic. We've got messed up government. We've got racial stuff going on. We have got an economy that's reeling. What in the world do you think? Why can you believe that your future is going to be brighter and you know that it's difficult times? Because I'm not basing my future on, on what's going on out here. I'm basing my future on my relationship with God and I know I can be more full of joy. I know I can be more, I can have more peace. When I look down the road, I see myself stronger. I see myself with more peace. I see myself in the blessings of God. You say, well, how in the world can you say that? Because I know I got a God who still does amazing things. And if he can heal a blind man, he can work wonderful in my life as well. And in your life, what's your future going to be like? Let me give you a couple of things that can help you change your future. 
First one is this, is what you believe. What you believe. Do you believe that, that God can help you? That God can? Hey, listen, we got, that's the first place we have to start. I believe that God is still the great one, still the maker of heaven and earth. I believe that he can help us. And if I'm going to believe that, then, then do this. Don't allow other people to stop you from pursuing a relationship with God. Now, I, I, I can just be very honest with you. If, if you love God and you're excited about God and you say things like praise the Lord, you quote a scripture or something, that's going to feel awkward to some people. They're going to go, you know, you know, you need to kind of chill out on the God stuff. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Today is not the day to chill out on the God stuff. Today's the day to ramp up on the God stuff because the other stuff ain't so good anymore. So we start ramping up on the fact that, so don't let anybody do that. And don't let anybody set the limits on your life of what God can do. Don't let anybody tell you God can't do that. Or he, he can't. I, I love this. I found this verse a few weeks ago in Isaiah, and I just loved it. It's in Isaiah 51. This is God speaking to Israel. He said, I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you should be afraid of a man who will die and the son of a man who will be made like grass and you forget the Lord your maker who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth? Man, I like that. So I don't, I don't want to get caught up in people and what people are doing. I want to get caught up in what God's doing because he is my maker. He's the one that made me. I did not make myself. And he's the one that stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. He's the great one. He can do amazing things. I don't want to put limits on him. I'll put limits on myself as well. There's a great story I've told for years about a grandfather who was talking to his grandkids. He was telling them a story about when he was a kid and he was talking about limits. He said, kids, when I was little, he said, my dad had a huge vegetable garden and we would grow vegetables and then sell them during the summer at a, at a vegetable stand by the, by the highway. He said, we made a lot of money that way. It was great. He said, but the whole family did it. He said, we, uh, we bought our chickens from a man named Willie Scott. And Willie Scott would deliver chickens to the house. He said, one day while we were working in the vegetable stand, Willie Scott came and, and delivered some chickens in a crate, and he put them on the porch. He said, when we came back, the chickens had all escaped from the, from the crate. And so... He said, me and my brothers and sisters, the whole family, we ran all over the neighborhood collecting escaped chickens. He said, that evening, grandfather said, my dad was so angry, he called Willie Scott. He said, Willie, we've been buying chickens from you for a long time, and I don't think it's a good idea for you to leave chickens unattended on a crate. He said, those chickens escaped, and all we got was 11 chickens. And Willie Scott chuckled and said, well, that's not too bad, sir. He said, because I only delivered six. What would you do if you didn't know you had any limits on your life? What would you do if you didn't believe that God was so limited in your life? What would you do if you served the great one who's the maker of heaven and earth who can still do amazing things? It gives you a hope for the future. So we believe that, we believe that God can help us. And then here's the big jump. We believe he will. And we believe he will, not because we feel worthy, not because we've been so good, simply because of who he is and the promises he's given us. And we find one of, one of my favorites here in Romans 8, 11, 
that says this, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So on, on the basis of that, we think a God who gave us Jesus, he will help us get through this time. He will offer us a future that's strong. You know, I, let me give you a, a parenting tip real quick. Joy and I have raised three. We now have five going on six grandkids. So I, I, am, I feel like I'm now qualified to offer advice on things I did not do that you can do, and they'll help you. One of the best things you can do for your children, and we actually did some of this, was you begin to paint a picture for them that God is big, that God is good, and that God will help them. When they're small, it's easy to tell them that. As they get older, you'll have to live it in front of them. But if you can begin to help, help, don't let, don't let your children just say, well, I, I think they'll get it on their own. No, you intentionally begin to plant seeds in them. God's good. God's big. God is going to help us. And you do that, and they begin to grow up with that mindset. And that will be a blessing to them. So do that. Now, here's the second thing. We believe that God can help us. We believe that God will help us. And when we believe that, things change. Now, I, as I was doing this, there was a word that just came up in my heart. And it's a word I, I, I know in my heart, I know it's for the church. And I know it's for you here. I know it's for you watching online. It's for our church. But it was a strong word that came up in me. And it was actually the words that they said to blind Bartimaeus. Be of good cheer. Rise up. He's calling you. I thought, man, if that isn't a word for our church in these days that we're living in, guys, listen, be encouraged. Rise up. He's calling you to something better. He's calling you. Listen, we, we need people today who will be courageous, who will rise up and believe that God can do something in their lives and believe that God can help them and believe that God can give them a better future. And just like Bartimaeus, when you believe that something good's happening, that God can do something good in your life, you'll begin to discard those things that have identified your life in the past and you'll get rid of depression and you'll change it in for, for expectation and you'll get rid of sadness and you'll change it for rejoicing and you'll get rid of apathy and you'll change it for energy because it's time we rise up and we take good courage and we believe that God's calling us to something better in this life. Because when we believe that our future is better, it doesn't just help us change the future. It does something in us. In World War II, a young girl from New Jersey married a soldier and they transferred him to the edge of the California desert. He knew it was going to be very difficult living arrangements, and uh, he tried to talk her out of going, but, but she wanted to go. When they got out to the desert, the only place they could find to live was a ramshackle old shack out near an Indian reservation. And man, it was, it was tough. And not only that, they, they transferred this guy further into the desert for maneuvers. So here she is. She's all by herself. There's no one around her that speaks English. The, the Indians didn't speak her language. She didn't speak theirs. It was 115 degrees sometimes, just blazing hot. And the wind constantly blew sand. And because of the place they lived, there was sand and everything. And she was lonely, and she had no friends. And she began to, she, she finally just began to despair. And she wrote her mom. She said, I've had all that I can take. I'm coming, I'm coming home. 
few weeks later, a letter came back to her. And the letter said this. It said, two men looked out of prison bars. One saw mud. The other saw stars. She realized that she had been so diminished in herself that she was missing the wonderful things around her. She was missing the beauty around her. She was missing the, the beauty. And so she began to look. She, she resolved in herself, I'm, I'm going to do better than this. I'm going to look for the stars. She began to look at the, at the desert differently and found out, just like that picture, it's beautiful. The Joshua trees, the, the, the colors and how things changed. She began to reach out to her Indian neighbors and began to communicate with them. And they gave her lessons in pottery and basket weaving. She began to understand their culture. She became so engrossed in the culture of the Indians and the culture of the desert, she actually wrote a book about it. What changed? Not the heat, not the sand, not the neighbors. What changed was her. What was in her? You know, I, I was thinking about our situation today. We got a lot of mud out there. But we need people who can see the stars. Your family needs someone who can see the stars your neighbors, your coworkers, people around you. In a world that sees a lot of mud, thank God that we are not mud people, we're star people. And because we trust God, we know he can help us, we know he will help us, that even in the middle of a pandemic, we can see the stars. And we can see that there's a brighter future up ahead. Would you bow your head with me for a moment? Whether you're here in the sanctuary or watching online, if, if you've never made a decision or you're not sure about your decision to ask Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Or maybe you're like I was. You've done that and you've gotten away from him and you know in your heart you need to come back. We're going to say a prayer. We don't, we don't ask people to stand up. We don't ask people to walk an aisle. If you're watching online, you're welcome to, to simply click or to text in to 313131. You're here this morning, here in the sanctuary, and that's you that I'm talking to. And you say, Alan, I don't know, but I want to know. Or, Alan, I've been away from God. I want to come back. Would you pray for me? I'm going to ask you just to do one simple thing. Just slip up your hand and say, Alan, that's me. Would you pray for me? Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Great. Wonderful. And put your hands down. We're going to pray. Maybe you didn't lift your hand. You thought, oh, I really want to do it. Or you're sitting there at home, and you're thinking, I really want to do this. Well, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. If you're by yourself, you can pray it out loud. If you're here in the sanctuary, you can pray it out loud with us. If you're around a lot of people, you can pray it quietly to yourself. It's a good prayer. It's a powerful prayer. It's a prayer that brings life. It's a prayer that brings hope. Because it's a prayer that connects you with the one who can make all the difference. So let's pray this prayer together. Say, Dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. And I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. That my past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Let's just still bow and eyes are closed.
Heavenly Father, thank you for those that, that prayed that prayer. For those that have come to you for the very first time and for those who have come back home, we rejoice with them. And Father, for those of us who have walked with you, thank you for a light, for a hope, for a word that's in our hearts that can make all the difference in our future. Because our future is not in stuff, it's in you. And we give you all the praise for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For more about The Ark, visit thearkchurch.com.